Let's all stand together as we sing Crown Him with Many Crowns. Jesus, write on my heart every word. 
precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Tell them the cross where they nailed him, writhing in anguish and pain. Tell them the grave where they laid him. Tell how he liveth again. Love in that storm. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Sing that chorus again. Tell me the story of Jesus. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Let's take a moment to, to pray together. Just reflect upon this experience of worship. We're going to pray for one another in just a couple of minutes, but... Would you take some time to just quietly prepare your heart for this experience of worship for you to reflect upon what we are now encountering, what we have encountered, and what God has in store for us? Pray for the person next to you as we worship together. Let's just quietly pray where we are. Lord, we know that when we get into a car or just our phone, we set it to a particular setting so that we can hear most clearly. And we pray now that you would tune our hearts to hear from you. So many distractions around us, so many thoughts that run through our minds. Pray that you would just still our spirits even now, that individually and collectively we could hear from you. God, to hear something new and fresh. We reminded of your word even today as we read through your word in Isaiah that you guide us along unfamiliar paths Lord take us to a new place a new place that we maybe have never been before as individuals as in a church to experience you in a fresh new way God give us hearts of repentance to turn away from sin and sometimes even the thought of being reminded of that reminds us of our own need to repent because we think what do I have to repent of God, show us our heart. Cleanse us, I pray. And open us to what you want to do now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
So as he said, let's go forth as worshipers leading the battle, praising our God. Let's stand together.
lift our eyes up to you right now. You are strong to save, and you uphold us with your mighty right hand. Thank you that the battle belongs to you. We don't have to fear. You are in control. And we lay all of our worries, concerns at your feet. And today, we listen to what you have to say to us through your preached and proclaimed word. May you move in our hearts today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A part of our worship is being able to minister to other people. And you see Vivian back here. It's a little bit easier in the gym. We can, we can see her right there. We don't have to wait until after the service. But the uh, ministry to inmates... Uh, we are in need of someone to write to a mail. We have a, a new prisoner that is longing to be written to. Also, you can be giving uh, hygiene items back there. And if you didn't bring any with you, uh, just drop some money back there. And we want to help out with the great ministry that you have going uh, there. Well, we all like happy endings. And uh, this past, last month, Gavin McLeod passed away. And you probably would remember him as an actor with a very interesting past. He had a very interesting career that spanned many decades, but most memorable, he was remembered as Captain Steubing on the Love Boat. Now, for those of you that are younger, you will recall that show took place in the last millennium. But it did enjoy a 10-year popular run on television from 1977 to 1986. It was lampooned by the critics, but it had a very simple formula that seemed to attract crowds. The formula was this, people would come onto this cruise ship, the love boat, and they would either discover love or they would rediscover love. In response to all of his critics, McLeod said, I don't care if it reflects life or not, I love happy endings. Well, as heavy as this current piece of scripture is that we're dealing with, God is revealing his plan for happy endings. Endings. It's found in John chapter 13, and we see in John 13, Christ gives us the model for love. John 13, verse 34, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And we go on to the next verse in verse 35, it says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What phrases do you hear most that people use to describe the church. Let's brainstorm together. What are the phrases that we hear that people say, this is what I think or hear about the church? Obviously, you're not listening much to what's going on out there. What do people say about the church? They have a great staff. I like that. Would you say that one more time? I said, good. Someone said, a bunch of hypocrites, filled with hypocrites. We always have room for one more, though. What was the next one? Warm. Some people complain about that every week, how hot it is in here. What was the other one? Filled with love. Some people say it's a friendly church. We're not just talking about Westgate. We're talking about the church in general. But as ironic as it is, we will find that most phrases used to describe the church in culture today are not positive. Usually there's some kind of bickering or fight or 
discussion, we might say, going on. And I found it most interesting, if you ever have listened to John MacArthur, read any of his books, you know that John MacArthur is all about correct doctrine. It's about theology. It's about being right. Listen to what John MacArthur said. What causes the sharpest, most bitter disputes in the body of Christ are not doctrinal differences, but the unloving manner in which those differences are handled. Interesting, someone who focuses so much on making sure the doctrine is right says the real problem is the way that people relate to one another. We're on a five-chapter run in which Jesus is demonstrating his great love to his disciples. And today we come to a familiar model of love, an unfamiliar model of love, and then the question, which model best describes us? Last week, we talked about the washing of the disciples' feet. Jesus washed Judah's feet along with all of the other disciples. And now, after that has taken place, this next section includes the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. In John chapter 13, verses 18 through 30, let's read it together so we have a familiar understanding of where we're going. It says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you this now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Jesus is saying, I'm about to be betrayed, and you need to understand this is going to happen. I'm going to tell you before it happens, so you will know, as it says in verse 19, that I am. Some of your translations will say that you will know I am he. But he is referring back to the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 when God identified himself as I am. And Jesus is saying, you will know that I am God because I'm telling you this is going to happen before it happens. Very, very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And after it said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, lost to know which one that he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to Jesus. And so Peter motioned to him and said, ask him. Leaning back to Jesus, he said, Lord, who is it? And Jesus replied, it's the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. Very interesting. That's the only time Satan's name is mentioned in the Gospel of John. Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this. Remember, John is writing six decades later. He's looking back. In the moment, no one understood. And since Jesus had charge of the money... Some thought Jesus was sending him out to buy something for the Passover, for the festival, or maybe to give him something to the poor. But as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Judas gives us a very familiar model of love. We would never put ourselves in the same camp as Judas, but his model of love is very familiar, a model of self-love. When we think about love, Many times we have experienced love being demonstrated selfishly. Judas' love was so selfish that he would betray the Savior of the world. 
people would remember that. Every place in which there is a list of the disciples in the Gospels, Peter's first and Judas is last. Every time his name is mentioned, he's referred to as the traitor. When the list of disciples is given in Acts chapter 1, he's not even mentioned at all. Judas is an interesting character. He was the only one who was not a Galilean. Many commentators think that he was probably a well-educated, probably a cut above all of the other disciples. Refined. He was the one that would know how to handle social graces. He was the one that would truthfully make the disciples look good. All we remember is his betrayal. But John reminds us, and even though he was so refined on the outside, you remember a couple of chapters, last chapter actually, John chapter 12, John tells us that Judas was a thief. You remember what he did with the money? What did he do with the money, Mark? He embezzled it. He would take it, invest it in his own causes. When Mary was anointing Jesus, I didn't get you because you were falling asleep, by the way. I, you were right with me. That's why I asked you. You're the only one in the building was with me, so that's why I asked you there, Mark. So got everybody thinking, oh, gosh, pay attention. He's going to ask me. Here he is, this thief. Takes away the joy of what Mary is doing in anointing Jesus' feet and saying, we could have spent this on the poor. Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 through 13, predicted this moment and what Judas would do talking about he would betray Christ for 30 pieces of silver. The truth is he sold his own soul for 30 pieces of silver. As I noted here, this is the only time that Satan is mentioned in the entire Gospel of John. So what's being said there? That when we, when we allow Satan to take leadership in our role, we become co-conspirators in betraying our Lord. When our understanding of love is selfish, we are most like Satan. So how do we get past it? Probably nobody in this room deals with selfish love, but you probably know someone that does. So how do we get past that? How do, how, what would be a helpful guide? Simple question of asking, what is it like being, what's it like being my spouse? What's it like for your spouse having to respond to you? What's it like being my child? What's it like being my parent, my colleague? What's it like being my teacher as a, as a student? Or better yet, what's it like being my child's teacher? I don't think he got a high enough score. 99, come on, you know, my son is exemplary. What's it like being my neighbor? What's it like being my coach? What's it like being my kid's coach? What's it like being my coach's player? What's it like being my employer? What's it like being my friend? What's it like being in church with me? You see, it's one of those questions that kind of helps us to put ourselves in the other's place to see what life is like from their perspective as they go through life with us. 
you've heard me say on several occasions this great idea that Andy Stanley has given us to assess our own selfishness whenever there's conflict. He says, you simply own up to it and say, the reason I'm so upset is because I'm not getting what I want. So much could truthfully be answered like that. The reason I'm mad is because I'm not getting what I want. Judas was selfish. He was using Jesus as a lever point to move up the ladder, greater prestige, greater power, greater wealth. We're familiar with that, aren't we? We're familiar with the model of people running over you, of using you. Selfish. That's a great word, isn't it? What do you see in the word selfish? Just think about it for a minute. What do you see in selfish? It's not a trick question. Mark, you're, you're up if you want to go this time. What do you see in the word selfish? What do you see in there? Fish, right? What about fish? Doesn't take long for it to get old and smelly. And when we love selfishly, it doesn't take long to get old and smelly. We're familiar with that. And so here is John saying, this is a familiar model of love. But then he wants to show us an unfamiliar model of love. That's found in John 13, 34. And when Jesus said, I'm giving you a brand new commandment, love one another. Now, on initial pass, you go back to Leviticus and you say, well, that's not really new. But it had a little bit of a twist even in the beginning when he says love one another because it says love your neighbor. And they had already figured out how to get around that and circumvent that particular scripture. They redefined who their neighbor was. That's why in the Good Samaritan, the guy asked, well, who is my neighbor? They had learned to redefine their neighbor. Anybody they didn't like, get this. See how this works. Anybody they didn't like wasn't their neighbor. Pretty easy. Jesus said, don't, don't love your neighbor. Love one another. You guys right here. Jonathan Edwards, 36 years before the Declaration of Independence was written, he was a strategic figure in the first great awakening in America. Great Puritan speaker, communicator in New England. And he had a message for children. August 1740, titled To the Children. It was a short sermon, a very short sermon. It only went 20 minutes. You can only imagine what sermons were like back then. And the essence of his sermon was, his thesis was, children ought to love the Lord Jesus Christ above all things in the world. So he says to the children, what you need to do more than anything else is to love Jesus Christ, and then he defines why. There is no love so great and so wonderful as that which is in the heart of Christ. John's revealing that as we get to John chapter 13 in these precious verses. Jesus is giving a history lesson of how he had just treated Judas. You think about Judas. We wouldn't want to have anything to do with him, but he probably was somewhat of a, of a likable guy. But notice how Jesus treated him. First of all, he washed his feet. 
But on the way, the reason, the, the reason that, the, or the way that we know all this is we, we look at the way that this, this conversation takes place with Judas. We know that he's seated by Jesus. We know where John is. And so by deduction, we recognize that Judas is in the seat of honor. So when they're going to the Passover, and all the guys are talking about who's the greatest, and Jesus is walking through the door says, Judas, tell you what, I want to talk with you a little bit, so I want you to sit, sit in the seat of honor right next to me. So he washes his feet, and then he gives him the seat of honor, and then he gives him this gesture of special friendship. When you would dip the bread in the sauce, and then you would hand it to a guest, you wouldn't hand it to all of them. It was a, it was a special gesture of friendship. What is Jesus doing for Judas? I know the sovereignty and the providence of God and all the, everything that is foreordained. We, we struggle with all that, but here's what Jesus is doing. He is trying to reach Judas. He is trying to save him. Chance to repent. In fact, Jesus treated Judas so well that nobody suspected he was betraying him when Jesus handed him the bread and told him to go do what he was going to do quickly. But Peter would later remember that. He would write in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that God is not willing that any should perish. Jesus was reaching out even to Judas. You are to love one another, just as I have demonstrated to you. To live and love like Christ is a phrase that we have used around here for years. Early Christians, why were they called Christians? It means to be little Christ, to, to act like Christ, and that's what God is calling us to do. Jesus knows us completely, and he loves us anyway. Isn't it amazing the way that this relationship with, with Peter unfolds? He knows the worst about Peter, but yet he believes the best in him. Peter didn't love like Christ. We go down here and we, we see that Jesus is explaining this is how you are to love one another, just the way that I have loved you. That's what really made it new is you're to love like me. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples. They won't know that we are Christ's church by the fact that we're friendly. That we have beautiful music. We have great suppers together. They will know that we are Christians by our love for one another. Christ-like love. The way that Jesus demonstrated his love to Judas, the way that Jesus demonstrated his love to Peter. Listen to the, 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 the interchange here. Peter is saying, Lord, where are you, go where are you going? Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but later you will. Peter, only I can go to the cross. You can't go with me. And Peter pipes up, says, why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Those words sound familiar? Jesus said he would lay down his life for us. In, in our confusion of love, sometimes we think we are better than we are, that we don't need Christ. We're going to see here in a minute, it's impossible for us to love without Christ. That's why Jesus reminded the disciples that I am 
Jesus is the embodiment of God. And John would write in his epistle in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that God is love. He's the very embodiment of love. See, agape is a very unique word. We've heard it in church life for many years, right? It is doing what is best for another person. It's not to be selfish, but to be selfless. But uniquely, the word agape is rarely ever found outside of the Bible because culture didn't have a place for it. They were familiar with the familiar role of selfish love. So here's agape love being demonstrated, seeking the highest and the greatest good of another. There's a demonstration for you guys who love baseball uh, last week, last I guess it was a week ago, Monday, July 12th, the home run derby before the All-Star Game. It's always such a, a fun thing to watch and see those guys try to just show off and hit as many home runs as, as, as possible. And Pete Alonzo won for the, for the second year in a row. New York Mets first baseman. He won more in the home run derby than he makes as a baseball player with his annual salary. Who pitched for Alonzo to win? Not too many people know. Dave Jowes is his name, age 64. He's the bench coach for the Mets. And his only job was to make sure the ball was right there so Alonzo could hit it out. Now, if you don't like baseball, that's okay, but it's a beautiful picture. He's not there to try to strike out Alonzo, to impress people the way that he pitches. He's there to put the ball right where he can hit it out and win the derby. That's a picture of love. Our job is to make sure that we position the ball just right so others can succeed. It reminds me of being at Promise Keepers a number of years ago at the Astrodome. That shows how long ago it was. And Wayne Watson was one of the singers. And on Saturday, he got up to sing, and he was talking about how late it was getting home last night because all the guys in Promise Keepers, about 40,000 of us in the, in the Astrodome, all encouraged to love like Christ. And so when we left on Friday, he says it was a nightmare because all you guys were out in the parking lot saying, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. Then I didn't get home till three in the morning. That idea of you go first, I prefer for you to go first. And my goodness, we can't overlook the emotions of our Lord. I'm reading a book now called Gentle and Lowly that has been very impactful for me, that has reminded me of the emotions that our Lord has. We kind of disconnect those emotions sometimes to the point that, that Jesus seems very sanitized, emotionless, but he was fully human. He was as human as you are, yet without sin. And how would you feel to know that you're about to go to the cross. We're just hours from the cross right now when all this takes place. And to know that this one who has walked with them all of these years is going to betray him. Imagine what it was like as he reached out to him one last time and then he handed him that bread and Judas took it. And he said, what are you going to go do? Turn me in so that I can be nailed to a cross. Go and, and do it quickly. Pain. And in Jesus' foreknowledge, knowing that that's going to happen, yet still washes his feet, still gives him the seat of honor, still tries to bring him back, offers him a chance to repent. 
when Jesus would use the term, he who shared my bread has turned against me. It's a reference back to David's encounter with Ahithophel, one of his military leaders who betrayed him and went over to the other side with Absalom. If we recall the story, God circumvented the story in such a way that his counsel, which was the best counsel that literally would have destroyed David, it was rejected by Absalom. So he went home, he put his estate, his, his affairs in order, and then he hung himself. It's a picture of what happens here. Then Jesus, with this unfamiliar model of love, is about to be glorified by going to the cross. A love that is so unfamiliar, so unfamiliar to the Roman soldiers that would nail him to the cross, that he would extend his hands out. And he would say, forgive them, for they have no idea of what they're doing. The way that Jesus loves is manifest not just here, but it's in the hours to come when he's nailed to the cross. The way that he embraced that, the way that he didn't cuss and curse profanities upon those who killed him, the way that he did not call down the angels to save him, but he walked right into it. So today we come to these questions. Which model best describes you? The familiar model of love that's selfish? Does that describe you around your family? The people that know you best? Which model best describes the legacy that you want? That you want to leave for others? Charles Spurgeon, as he grew in his understanding and practice of prayer, said, I have now concentrated all my prayers into one prayer, and that one prayer is this, that I may die to self and live holy to him. Prayer in many ways can be a mirror to our soul and oftentimes reflects a self-absorbed spirit. And so maybe as we go into this time of prayer to reflect, God, is there anything within my heart that you want to have your way with? Tradition tells us that later in life, the Apostle John would be carried in to be around those that he would worship with, and he would say, little children love one another. Not a term of condemnation, uh, um, yeah, I was going to say condensation, but that's not a real good word, not condescending, it's not condescending, it's not a condescending statement to say, little children, I'm looking down on you, it's to say, I love you just as Christ has loved you. Love one another. It's impossible to do without the power and the presence of Christ. That's why we consistently say we need to know Christ as our Lord and Savior. God loves us, and he's created us to have a relationship with him. But that relationship will never exist under our own power. Peter was learning that. Peter thought he was all that in a bag of chips. He thought he could do everything that he thought in his mind was going to happen. But we can't because of our sin. But thankfully, Jesus Christ can make us right with God. We can be changed for all of eternity by humbly repenting of our sins and completely surrendering our life to Christ. If you've never done that, I'm going to invite you to join me in a prayer in just a moment. But before we do that, as we go into this next song, we're going to do as we did last week, and we're going to pray. And so the, the, the team can just make their way to the front now. And 
If you're in the first seat or the fourth seat, I want you to stand up. One of the ways that we can demonstrate our love for one another is to pray for one another. So if you're in the first seat, that means on the aisle or the fourth seat in, if you would just go ahead and stand up. And then as we go into this time of prayer, I want the rest of you, to first seat either on that side or this side, if you're in the first seat of your aisle, on the ends, maybe I should say it this way, if you're on the ends of the aisle or in the fourth seat, if you need someone to do the math for you, we can count it out. But it's just like one, two, three, four. I want you to stand, and everybody's just going to huddle around you and pray. Pray that you would be able to live in love like Christ. And if you've never received Christ, I'm going to invite you to join in the prayer in just a moment. So uh, let's pray. Then we can huddle around each other and begin to pray for one another. God, we thank you for who you are. The fact that you have chosen to see the very best in us and therein came to redeem us from our sins, to give us the offer of eternal life. It's not automatic. So if anyone today has never received you, I pray that this would be the day that they would voice a prayer similar to this and say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender all that I am and all that I have to you, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Father, may it be the desire of this church not to be known as a friendly church, but to be known as a church in which people love as you have loved. And may we demonstrate that even now as we surround these that are standing and pray for them that they might be able to live and love like Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and begin to pray. And if you have a commitment or you want more information about receiving Christ, if you want to text us at 94,000 Westgate, want to tell you what we're getting real confused here sit down if you're not one of those seats i'm sorry for being so sit down if you're not in seat number one or four unless you're in seat one or four sit down so you can see who's in seat one and four and now surround those in seat one and four and pray for them as we worship together
Thank you so much for being here this morning. If you are a guest here with us today, you can text Westgate uh, to 94000, and uh, that will allow us to get to know you and uh, to be aware of your presence here today. You can also share prayer requests uh, in that same format, uh, or uh, you can give online uh, through, that, uh, through that process. And so, But we are so glad that you're here this morning. Don't forget... Uh, our in-home Bible studies continue tonight. If you do not have a book, uh, I am a church member. There are books uh, in the back here uh, that you can grab one of those. Uh, but uh, that, uh, uh, those in-home Bible studies continue uh, tonight. Hope that you'll jump in and be a part of that. Also, don't forget this coming Wednesday is our second time of prayer and discussion uh, at 6 o'clock here in the gymnasium. And so hope that you'll hear uh, and be a part of that. Uh, as we continue the discussion of uh, whether to continue, well, I guess now continue with one service or go back to two services. Uh, and so uh, those, uh, that uh, process will continue uh, this Wednesday, uh, this Wednesday night. Uh, thank you so much for being here this morning. God bless you and hope you have a great afternoon.